This week's parasha is Parashas Lech Lecho. The beginning of the parasha, we have the first of the Asar Nesiyayinais, the first of the ten uh, tests that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to Avraham Avinu, and that is to go to Eretz Kenan. Lech Lecho, Me'artzecho, Umimeladzecho, Mbeisavicho, El Ha'aretz Asherareko. So Rashi says the Lashon of Lech Lecha, this peculiar Lashon, that we put these two words together of Lech Lecha, to go for yourself. He could have just said, Telech La'artzecha. What's Lech Lecha? The definition of Lech Lecha is that a person should go, that Avram Avinu is expected to go, Lecha. Lahana'ascha ulataivascha. For your own Hana'a, and for your own good, that's why you're going. That's the simple pshat, according to Rashi, of lech lecha. Go for yourself. The Svarim HaKadoshim, though, and the Sifri Machshava, they give us a different taich in what lech lecha means. They say that the tzivoy that Avram Avinu got for lech lecha, to be able to go Lecha means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu expected Avram Avinu before he starts his mission, before he begins to go and proclaim the name and the word and the belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the entire world, which Avram Avinu did successfully, the very first step, the prerequisite for that is Lech Lecha. That you have to first go and travel, take a journey, Lecha, inside of you. A person is expected to have a degree of introspection, to be able to understand self-understanding, self-analysis, to comprehend who we really are before we change others, before we're able to do anything in life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Lech Lecha. Go to yourself. Go inside I heard once that scientists know a lot more about the galaxies above. There are galaxies that we've explored either by manned spacecraft or by unmanned spacecraft, by Hubble telescopes. There are, there are satellites and, and capsules that are flying throughout the Bria, taking pictures and sending them back. We know a lot more what's going on millions of miles away from us than we do understand what's going on inside of us. We know very little about our inside. We know a lot about our outside and the world around us, but very little around what's going on inside. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is being mitzavah Avram Avinu before you do anything with the outside world, lech lecha. Go inside. Think about who you are. Try to figure out, try to come to terms and define exactly, know yourself. Know exactly who you are, what makes you what you are, how you can improve who you are. And that road of self-discovery is what's going to enable you to be great and to be upon millions of others. Rabbi Sal Salanter used to say that a person lives with himself for 70 years, and he never really knows himself. Even 
on the day of his death, the last day of his life, if you'd ask him, hey, who are you? He has no idea. Most of us, we walk through life, and we do, and we accomplish, and we, we live a life, but we don't know who we are. And that's a very tragic type of thing, because doesn't it behoove us to know exactly what we are, who we are? This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu expected Avraham Avinu to do. When my father, Elvashalem, was sick in the hospital, so he was undergoing some surgical procedure, and I was in the waiting room of this hospital. It was a hospital on Long Island, and there wasn't much to do in the waiting room. You know, you just sit there and wait until you get a call from the surgeon how the surgery went. And so I was there for many, many hours. So you learn, and then you know you get a, you get a little tired and. There were two women that were sitting, you know, in the waiting room, and I was listening to their conversations. And the conversation went something like this. This hospital was very close to a very big Khashiva um, shopping area in, in Long Island somewhere. And one of these two women who didn't know each other, they are both, I think both their husbands were being operated on, and one said to another, I know you, right? She says, yeah, yeah, you're a salesperson um, in a certain department store, right? Yeah, yeah, I shop there a lot. I remember you. So she says, yeah, I remember you also, but you haven't been there in a long time. So she says, yeah, I didn't like one of the salespeople in that department store. And so I stopped shopping there. So she says, well, what, what was the problem? Why didn't you like the salesperson? I think I know her. She's a nice person. So she is a nice person. He says, but what I would do is I would try on a dress, and I go into the dressing room, I try on an outfit, I come out, and this woman right away, she's, you know, she wants to make the sale, so she jumps and she screams, she says, that dress, it's you, it's you, that dress, it's you, you know, you have to buy it, it's you, it's like, you know, so she says, I'm thinking to myself, and I was like so in this fall over this woman, this was like, I don't, she wasn't Jewish, it was, you know, she says, I'm thinking to myself, she says, even I don't know who I am. And this girl is telling me that it's you? How do you, you I don't know me. How could you tell me that it's you? I was misspoke. That's why I don't go shopping in that store anymore. For that alone, it was Kedaida, you know, I mean, besides obviously for, for being there for my father, but it was Kedaida be in that waiting room for hours just to hear that bar. And I've repeated that part many times. It's, 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 it's brilliant. A woman is able to be mastic that she doesn't know herself. We don't realize that, but it's true. We don't know who we are. We have never really taken the journey inward. Now, you might think to say, well, I know, you know, we know some of our, our mindless, we know some of our Christianists, and we know what we're going for. A person could say, yeah, who are you? You know, I've, I've been a doctor. I've been a lawyer my whole life. I've been an accountant. I've been a businessman. I've been a rabbi. You know who you are, that's not, but that's not who you are. That's what you've done. I've done certain things in my life. And I have certain relationships in my life. And I have, you know, certain skills and certain talents and certain things that I enjoy doing, hobbies. But who we really are is very, very difficult to know.
who we really are in the core of who we are and to go deeper and to figure out exactly who I am very very difficult it's a journey that very few people take because it's very difficult sometimes it's very uncomfortable because we don't even want to know who we are it's easier not to because if we know who we are we have to suddenly start working on our midas and try to fix things and so we sort of just gloss over who we are and we do our life but we don't really analyze ourselves properly the Maral writes in Gvuras Hashem that the purpose of the Asar Nesiyanes was Kedei Livchain Amitas Atmai. Avram Avinu was expected to discern and to comprehend the truth of his very being. And in order to do that, he had to start with Lechelcha. The very first step that you take in the journey of understanding the truth of yourself is by going inward. Not by going and doing, let's go, let's rock, let's... We have to go and figure out who we are before we do anything that's of substance in life. The Alei Shur writes, in case you think that this is extra credit, that it's something that I don't have to do, you know, it's a nice thing to do if you have time. I don't have time. I'm so busy studying. I have midterms. When am I supposed to sit down and start thinking about who I am? So, the Alishur writes in a few words. He says, you might be able to get through life without doing this exploratory mission of who we are, who you are. But he says that, Ben Aliyah lo You will not ever be a Ben Aliyah. And you will never be a man of truth if you don't know who you are. Because you're living basically a very superficial, one-dimensional lifestyle without knowing what's underneath the hood. You've never explored yourself and you don't know. You will never really be a Ben Aliyah. Ben Aliyah to the Alishur is like, you know, if you're not a Ben Aliyah, then you're almost not alive. He expects Pnei Taira and all of us to be people that are trying to grow and trying to make ourselves better. And the only way to really grow and make yourself better is by understanding who we are and how special we really are. What are our potential? How, what do we have inside of us in terms of the ability to do great things? What are our chesrainas inside that we need to work on? The midas that we need to fix and repair? All of these are things that we will only know if we make a real cheshvan efesh and figure out what are we personally all about. Not human beings. Us. Me as an individual. What am I? How am I different than you? What makes me have the ability to carry out my unique mission in life? That is what we have to figure out, each and every one of us. And if you're not, the L.A. Shur says, you will never be an Ish Emes, you will never be a Ben Aliyah. You can't be. Because... It goes hand in hand. In order to be a Ben Aliyah, a person must first figure out who he is and what his mission statement will be. I think with this we can understand a little bit why the Pasuk then starts speaking about where Avram Avinu is leading from. Lechelcha me'artzucha, from your country, from the city of your birth, 
And from the house of your father. Now that presents an obvious difficulty in the order that the Pasuk puts these things in. Because if, let's say, I'm taking a trip to Eretz Yisrael, the first thing I do is leave my house, and then I leave Queens, and then I leave the country to Eretz Yisrael. I wouldn't say, okay, I'm going on a trip to Eretz Yisrael, so I'm going to leave America, and then I'm going to leave Queens, and then I'm going to leave my house. That's out of order, obviously. But I think that in light of, the, of this shot that we're speaking about today, that Lechelcha is an internal journey that Abraham Avinu was expected to take, simultaneously with going out of Eretz, going to Eretz Canaan, Abraham Avinu was expected at the same time to be doing a lot of in-depth understanding of where he came from and trying to rectify all the things that may be bad influences on him. So first, in your journey, Avram Avinu, you're expected to leave your country. That's easy. It's not easy, easy, but it's relatively easy. You have to leave your country, meaning all of the culture, the Ashpais that were in Avram Avinu's country, leave them. Just go out, get rid of them, try to, you know, completely purge yourself of the culture and all the influences of your country. After that, the influences of your city, which is a little bit more profound on you, the immediate vicinity, your friends, your neighbors, all the people that were mushed on you, or mushed be on you, you have to work on that. And after that, the hardest of all things is Beisavicha. When we grow up in a certain house, Abraham Avinu grew up in the house of Terah, and he has to now go and you know, try to make, come to terms with who he is, and the good things that he took maybe from his parents' house, and then all the bad hashvahs, the desire maybe, all of these, these are very difficult things to really get into and to start being mavdil and be mavdil between taiv and ra. But that's part of what we have to do in our own life also. We have, we've been brought up, and I'm sure our homes were all very good and wonderful, but... In every child, there's a lot of things that, you know, are mashpia l'tayv and mashpia l'ra. That's why people, you know, in, in certain health fields make a lot of money dealing with people, you know, talking about their childhood, talking about all the experiences of their lives. It's much easier to deal with the general culture around us than it is to deal with our inside upbringing, things that influence us as a child. But all of these are things that are necessary to think about and to talk about and to be, you know, understanding of oneself, to make heads and tails of who we really are. It's difficult. It's a journey. But it's something that people have to think about. Nobody wants to. I heard once from a Rebbe of mine, he says, you go into a car, what does a person do when they go into a car? The first thing, came up before you turn on the ignition almost, you know, you turn on the radio. Or you put a music, you know, CD into the car. Or you, you know, there has to be some noise in the car. Why? Because, well, you know, it's interesting. But that's not really the truth. The truth is that we're afraid to spend time with ourselves. Quiet, you know, just thinking about myself. It's very, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm uncomfortable doing with because I don't want to deal with myself. I, I don't want to have to really try to explore myself. I could schmooze with you for an hour. I can't talk to myself. I'm afraid of what it's going to, what, you know, if I'm going to like me or not. 
Rav Hutner was once on a plane and he saw there was like a, a yeshiva bacher that was sitting there with the Gemara. And so, you know, the, Gemara, the, the boy probably thought that Rav Hutner was impressed with him. You know, he's sitting and learning. He's a masmid on a plane. And Rav Hutner comes over to him and says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm learning. He says, why are you learning? He says, well, you know, I'm on a plane. He says, what, 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 what does Rav Shiva expect me to do? He says, you don't have to learn day and night. Sometimes you have to think. You have to sometimes sit alone and, and think. It's not to say you shouldn't learn and on a plane and on a bus and whatever, but, but sometimes it's good also to be able to think and to have a conversation with yourself and try to analyze if you're in a good place. Are you happy? Are you sad? Why are you happy? Why are you sad? What's you know taking us off our game? What's good about our game? How can we improve? Who can we better our relationships with? Who should we maybe not be friendly with? All of these are things that we have to, we have to work on ourselves. And it's the last thing in the world that we want to do. It's something that like, we keep putting off. It's like when we have a, an exam to study for and, you know, and you, you're supposed to sit down and study and then, you know, every time you sit, all right, first, you know what, I'm going to make myself a cup of coffee. All right, that'll take a few minutes. And then I'm going to, you know, and then I'm going to uh, lie down a little bit. And then I'm going to call my friends. Then I'm going to check my email. You can't get yourself to sit and study because you don't want to. And that's how it is a lot of times making, you know, time for ourselves is something that it's like we don't want to do it for whatever reason because we are uncomfortable with the notion that we should try to look inside. But it's something that we really have to do. Now, the question that remains is, how do we really know ourselves? How are we able to test ourselves, to know ourselves, to try to figure out who we really are? And that's an open question. It's not easy, and you know, I'm sure there are many different ways of doing it. I once saw, and I'll admit that it was a, it's a little bit of an unorthodox source, um, it was a beer advertisement on the side of a bus. There was a city bus. I don't remember which beer it was, but I don't know why it was giving a muster of ours anyway, a beer company. Maybe it was near Purim. I don't know. But it's, this is the bar that it said on the bus. It says, you are who you are when you're alone. The way to be mapped who you really are is who you are when you're alone. When you're with other people, you're always different. We're always different. We act different, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but if I'm in a room with other people, I'll automatically you know, do a, an immediate calculation on who's in the room, and accordingly I will act. I'm sure we're all like this a little bit. I had a Rebbe once ask me how many people I am. And I said, I think I'm one person. He says, no. He says, you're as many people as you know. If you know 100 people, you're 100 people yourself. Because when you're around different people, you're different. I find in myself all the time. Uh, you know, as much as you try to work on yourself and think that you're a real person, 
But I think we could all admit that when we're around different people, we're different. If you're around, like, you know, if I bump into my yeshivish friends from high school and from, you know, all of a sudden I become very yeshivish. I, like, start using, like, words that I haven't used in years. And, like, you know, then if I'm around, like, very intellectual people, you start, you know, trying to up your vocabulary a little bit. And then if you're around Hasidim, you start, you know, acting Hasidish. If you're around very, you know, whatever, whoever you're around, you act a little bit, a macho different. You're different. The way you daven when you're, when you're with a minion, when you're in yeshiva, is not the same way that you'll necessarily daven if you're davening b'chidus in your dorm room. It's just going to be different. Your yishman will be different. You'll have less kavana, maybe you'll shuffle less, you'll be much quicker. But you're not exactly who you are. A person that's mamish consistently, you know, exactly the same, even when no one's around, that's a very big fiddish. I saw it by Rebaran Shafter once. You know, I was, it was in Camp Morris one summer, and I was there, and I was waiting for him. For some reason, he had to daven alone, Mincha, in his bungalow. And, you know, he didn't know that I was watching. There was no one in the bungalow, and I was standing outside of the, of the screen door waiting for him. And his Shemayna Esther was mamish the same Shemayna Esrei that it was when he was in, when, in a base matters with 300 people. He was a, he's a consistent person. He's an ice guy for the year. He was like, he worked himself through, and he's like, he is who he is when he's alone, and when he's barabbing, he's, he's one person. But most of us, many of us, we're not the same when we're with other people as we are when we're with When we are alone, that's a time to be mapped, and that's a time to like, you know, put on the magnifying glass on yourself and see, you know, why is it that I'm different when I'm alone? And why is there this divide between my public persona and my private persona. And that's something that we have to work on. Rapinkus, in this week's parsha, Parsha's Lech Lecha, he touches on a few of the points that I mentioned about Lech Lecha and going inward. And you should see his whole shtickle because it's very eye-opening. But I love what he says at the end. He says... In, in terms of how to really gauge who we are. How are you able to figure out who you are, who you really are? And how does the Rabbi judge us? And how does he know who we are? So he says, he brings a, a Gemara. There's a Gemara in Avedazara and Apyadchesam and Aul. The Gemara says, that Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma, one of the Tanaim, one of the great Tanaim, was very deathly ill, very sick. He was on his deathbed, and he didn't have much longer to live. So he came. He was visited by his close Talmud, Rabbi Chanina ben Shadrin. Rabbi Chanina ben Shadrin himself, we know, was one of the Asara Rugei Malchus. He was a Kaddish Mamish. He died with a Sefer Torah. He was burned. Mamish al Kiddush Hashem. A very high person, a very elevated human being. So Chanina ben Shadrin comes to his rabbi, Rabbi Yisim ben Kisma, and says to Rabbi Yisim ben Kisma, Rabbi, ma ani What is my status? Tell me now. We don't have much time to talk anymore. Tell me now the honest truth. What is my status in terms of getting into Elam Abba? Am I going to be Zaycha or am I not going to be Zaycha? Amar Lai, so, Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma says to Chanina ben Chajan, Chlum Maisa ba Do you have any story to tell me? 
Did any story happen to you that you could tell me about yourself a little bit? Strange question to ask. This is a Talmud. He knows him. He learns him. He knows that he's very good in learning. He knows that he's a wonderful Ben Tyra. He knows that he's an amazing human being, a, a tremendous Yid. He says, tell me a story about yourself, an anecdotal story. So he says, okay, I'll tell you a story about myself. Once upon a time, it was Purim. And I had, I had money in my wallet. And I had, oh, that was my own personal money. I had one envelope. I just went to the ATM machine, right? Purim, everybody goes to the ATM machine before Purim to get money to give the kids. And, and, and Matana Slavianim. I had one envelope that was my money. That was envelope A. I had an envelope that was earmarked for tzedakah for Aniyim. That was envelope B. I was supposed to distribute money to the Aniyim from the envelope B. What happened was, for some reason, these two envelopes got mixed up. And I went and I distributed money from envelope A instead of envelope B. My own personal money, that's what I gave out to the Aniyim. And I came home. And all of a sudden, I saw on, you know, on, my, on my desk that envelope B, where the tzedakah money was, that was on my desk. Meaning that I hadn't given out those bills for the, for the aniyim was not given out. Instead, I gave out my own money to the aniyim. Now, if it was me, I would say, okay, you know, it's a wash. I gave $500 of my own money to the aniyim. This is $500 for tzedakah money. I'll take the $500 that was earmarked for tzedakah and I'll put it in my pocket. It's mine now. It's $500. Dead presidents are dead presidents. Rabbi Yesi ben Kisma, Rabbi Khamina ben Trajan, rather, said, I didn't do that. I said, listen, you know, I gave money to Taniyan. I gave money to tzedakah. That money is tzedakah. I, but there's $500. That's also tzedakah. So I ended up giving $1,000 for Tzedakah on Purim Tanim instead of 500 That was the Misa that happened to me. What do you say? Am I Ben Eilam Habba or not? So Rabbi Yisrael and Kisma says, Im Cain, if that's the story that you're telling me about yourself, Mechelka Chayei Chelki Umikairo Chayei Gairoli. Halavai says, Rabbi Yisrael ben Kismet, Rabbi Chanina ben Trajan, that your chalik should be my chalik, and that your gairah, your lot, should be my lot. Halavai that I should be on such a madrego. Now, Pinkus says, let's analyze this story. Who are we talking about? Are we talking about like two, you know, two teenage kids that have nothing going for them, and they're just like schmoozing, and he gave a little money to Dukkah, and oh, you're a good boy? Rabbi Khanina ben Shajin was somebody that was a yid that was on the level of being one of the Asarag and Malchus. Asarag and Malchus means that you're basically a Gilgal of the, of the Ache Yasef that they were Mechayev to be Mechaper for. These are not teenagers. These are Gedele Oilam that we're talking about here. And he had a lot to He knew Shas. He was a Tana for crying out loud. The Vilna Dain says that every Tana and Amaira that's mentioned in Shas has the Kayach, had the Kayach when they were alive to be Mechayim Mason. You can mention, throw any Amaira out, any, even the most obscure Amaira, I think of Chaim writes somewhere, that, there's, that every Mesechta and Shas, 
there is one Amaira that doesn't appear anywhere else in, in the other Mesechus and Shas. He, he makes one appearance that never appeared. Find that Amaira. We're not talking about Rav and Shmuel, Abai and Rav. We're talking about even any Amaira. You pick an Amaira, he has the Kayak from Mechayim Ace. He brings a riot from a Gemara. This is an Amaira. This is a Tano. And a very elevated Tano, a famous Tano. And the greatest thing that he has his ticket title on Abba is he has that, some funny story that happened to him on Purim that he mixed up some money with other money and he gave both. Is that the, that's, what he, that's his claim to fame? Sir Pincus says so beautifully that this is how a person knows who he is. If you're telling me, you know what, I know who I am. Of course I hear maybe he doesn't know who he is. I know who I am. I'm a person. I come to Davening three times a day. I learn and I and I, you know, and I and I keep my sarim and I'm very Makhbin and Lashnara and I'm a good Jew. It's true, it's all true, it's wonderful. He gets hard for that. But those are things that are planned. You have a nice, neat, organized daily schedule and it works well. You feel good about it and you know exactly, you know, how the day is going to open up and, and, and develop and, 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 and there's no surprises. Nothing is out of place. Your day is perfect. Everything is going as planned. That's who you are. You're good, you know, you do in professionally, you do the same thing. You come to your, your, your medical office at a certain hour, you punch the time clock, you leave at a certain hour. Everything, the day goes by. That's not a way of necessarily knowing who you are. It just means you're a yekisha person, you're an organized person, you do things right. Fine. That's a good thing. It's good to do things right. But that doesn't necessarily speak to who you are as a, as, as a, as a real person. It just means that you, you know, these are important things. You're sticking to your starim and you're... What happens when something goes different than expected in your daily existence? A moment that you're caught off guard and you have to make a decision that you weren't expecting to make. I gave the $500 of tzedakah. I thought it was tzedakah money. It turns out it was my money. I'm alone in a room. Nobody's going to know the difference. It really has, maybe even halakhically, there's absolutely no reason in the world why I should give that money to tzedakah. It caught me off guard. And yet, b'chadre chadarim, and b'chadre halev, I had an impulse and an instinct that, you know what, I'm going to give it all to tzedakah. I made a mistake, but maybe there was a reason for the mistake, and this is what I'm going to do. It hurts because I really, you know, I needed that money for other things. I was going to go shopping for, for other things that I wanted. But now I'm going to give it all to Tzedakah. That, says Rafinkas, shows who you really are. Those moments that you're tempted to do something, and maybe you even have a reason to do something, but you don't do it. That's a moment that you're able to have a flash of, of, of clarity in who you really are. That's why Reb Hanina ben Trajan was told that you're a real person, you're a ben Ayelon Abba, you're a ben Ayelon Abba for other reasons, but you're really a ben Ayelon Abba, you're really a good person to the core because of such a maitha that really speaks volumes as to who the inner person is. Lech lecha, go inside and figure out about yourself. Are you good or bad? And if you're bad, then you have to fix it. If you're good, you have to fix that also, says Mitzvah Kisharim. 
there's chippos, and there's pish, there's, there's all different types of cheshna nefesh. But there's never an end. We're so deep inside, and we have to figure out what makes us tick. How much potential do we have? And how much bad do we have? And we have to filter out the bad, and even the good, we have to weed out and make sure that it's really good and for the right reasons, and not for a lot of the fake reasons that we do things. Rupinkus brings a few stories that are like this, like this Kemar Nabai but much more recently. He says, there was a guy, in, he brings him often in his farm. His name was Rev. Yosef Liss. Rev. Yosef Liss is somebody who appears constantly, and it's not a household name in terms of, you know, I think our Gedalim list, he's not on it, but he was a tremendous guy. In. And he was married in Europe, and he was in the Mir Yeshiva, and when the Mir went to Shanghai, when it went to Asia, to, to China, during the war, it escaped. For some reason, him and his family were separated. So his wife and his children were stuck in Europe, and he went with the Yeshiva to, 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 to Shanghai, and I don't know, you know how that separation took place, but that's what happened. And, of course... His whole family perished during the war. He didn't know about it. He wasn't able to find out. But the assumption was that if you were stuck in Europe during the Second World War and you were a Jew, you, and you weren't, you know, you're probably not alive anymore. It was after the war. He first comes to America, then the Serbian list moves to Israel, and he feels like he's ready to begin a new life. The war is over. He wants to remarry, start a new family. But he has these, you know, annoying thoughts in his head about maybe my wife is still alive. He didn't know what to do. I mean, halakhically, you're allowed to marry two wives. We don't do it, but you're allowed to. But still, you know, it would be highly uncomfortable if you marry, you start a whole new family, and then your, your old family shows up at the door one day. He didn't know what to do. So he went to ask the briskerov. And the briskerov strongly encouraged him to get remarried. It's interesting. I don't think the Briskarov himself, just thinking now, you know, the Briskarov also lost his wife in the Mohammed. I don't think he ever, I know, I'm pretty sure he didn't get remarried. But he advised the Sergeyev list to get remarried. Now, this wife that he had married, she was married before him to a man for 10 years. They had no children together. And then that husband died. Now Rav Yosef Liss comes and marries her, and they're married for many, many years. Eight years they were married, and they didn't have children. Now, it looks like, you know, pretty clear that there's something wrong with this woman. She wasn't able to have children. And all of a sudden, after eight years of not having children, they were blessed with a boy and with a girl. And Rapinkus, you know, later asked Rav Yosef Liss, I don't know if he was his rabbi, but he had, he had a relationship with him. He was obviously older than him, considerably, but he says, whose face was this? Like, which rabbi do we, do we have to thank, you know, for, have, for this, these miracle babies? After eight years, she's married ten years to, husband, to the first husband, no children. Eight years to him, and after eight long years, 18 years being childless, all of a sudden this woman has a boy and a girl. Who's my face? Who can we attribute this to? Who gets credit for this? 
Rabbi Yisrael Bliss says, this is my mitzvah. I get credit for this. And what happened? He says, you know, here I am. I didn't know if I should get married. The briskarov encouraged me to get married. So I married this woman. Eight years I'm married and I'm not having children. I was really tempted to go to the briskarov and say, you got me into this mess. You told me to get married. You get me a bracha. Give me a bracha and have a child. That was my natural instinct to do that. You know, we would do that. Who wouldn't do that? The briskarov tells you to go get married. It's on his shoulders. The briskarov should be the one to give me a bracha. That I should have a baby. But I didn't want to make the briskarov uncomfortable. I should have. I probably have the right to. But I was very reluctant to make, because the brisker would feel bad, like, you know, Taka, I, I told this guy to do it, I, maybe it was a bad Eitza, now he has, I have to daven for him. I would make the brisker feel, like, uncomfortable, and maybe make him feel like he's to blame in some, in some way. And so, I didn't want to do that, so I never asked the brisker I was never, I never mentioned it to the brisker that I want a bracha. That's why I had a boy and a girl. I had a boy and a girl in this course that I did nothing. And Rapinka says that is the way a person really is able to test who he is. It's not doing the great things and the natural things, the big things and the obvious things. That's not how we test ourselves. It's the things that, the subtle things that most people would not be aiming in, and you are, that makes you special. That's where you're able to really shine a spotlight on yourself and say, I know that I'm good. Because I was able to be, I made in this design, I didn't want to say anything to the brisker up, and I didn't. I could have, I didn't. That's my schos. That was the my face. It's my my face. That shows the greatness of an individual. When you want to do something and you hold yourself back, that is, that shows strength. That shows gavura. He brings another Misa along the same lines from the Baal Leshem. The Baal Leshem was a guy. He writes, he was Kaidesh Kadashim, Migidaila He knew the whole Taira and he wrote Chiburim. He authored many Svarim on many Mitzvahs and Taira, many subjects in the Taira, the Baal Leshem. He also happened to have been the grandfather of whom? Rebel Yashiv. He's Rebbe Yashiv's grandson, grandfather. In fact, Rebbe Yashiv, I don't think that many people, at least who didn't read the biographies about Rebbe Yashiv, know this, but Rebbe Yashiv, everybody said, he's a Paisic. He was like amazing in halacha and Gemara. Right, we have his farm on heart. We don't know. Rebbe Yashiv was probably the greatest Makubal in the whole Dar. From the time that he was very young, he learned with the Leshem. The Leshem taught him everything he knew. In, in Kabbalah, and the Leshem was the greatest Makobal of his time. No one knows it. Rabbi Yashar is a Litvish, a Gadol, sitting out, Erev, Alavayda, Alayra, Amud, Alayra. What does he know from Kabbalah? He was probably the biggest Makobal. He was all Mr., but it was all, he knew Kabbalah from, a teen, from his teenage years. The Leshem taught him everything. And the Leshem was very master of Yashiv, his grandson, in terms of his Yedias and Sisrei Taira. Be that as it may, the Leshem had a daughter. 
The daughter happened to have been the mother of Rabbi Yashiv, but not yet. She went to the doctor's office because she was married and she didn't have children for many years. And the doctor basically, you know, did what many callous doctors do. They basically start dashing to the girl how she's never going to have children. Her body is something wrong with it and her womb is something wrong. And basically you will never, ever, ever have a baby in your life. So Leshem's daughter comes home. She wanted to cry to her father, to the Baal Leshem. And she was about to enter his room. And she hears that he's learning Tyra. He's learning. She doesn't want to disrupt him. So she goes to the... There's like a machsan outside in the yard, in the backyard. There's a, like a garage. She goes out to the garage... And she cries and she cries and she cries out in the garage. Because she didn't want to disturb her father's learning. Akitzer, the Leshem, has to get something from the garage after he finishes learning. And he goes and he's about to open the door. He hears somebody crying in his garage. He slowly opens the door and he sees his daughter. And he says, What happened? Why are you crying? So the doctor says that I'm never going to have a child ever. And that's why I'm crying. So he says, but why are you crying in the garage? Cry in the house. Come to me. Talk to me about it. She says, no, I didn't want to disturb your learning. I heard that you were learning, and I did not want to disturb your learning. And the Leshem says in this chuf that you had such an ability to be so sensitive to my learning that you, as, as, as depressed and as broken as you were, you made a decision that you did not want to share my learning, and that's because you're going to have a child. And Rapinkas says that that is the, that's the story here. This is a Misa. It's a small Misa. What is it? She didn't share she didn't share if I was learning, but w- would any of us do that? If we have a hard felt emotional need to disturb somebody's learning, we do it. We disturb people's learnings for less things. You know, if we wanna if a guy if we if we see people learning to you know, Khavrusa shop and they're into they're in the thick of things and we wanna ask them, you know, you know, did I get mail, you know, did anyone leave a package for me? We'll go over and ask them. This small Misa shows about this young girl how great she is. From the small Misa, Klum Misa Valiyotcha, it was something that caught her off guard. Naturally, if a person has an emotional need, you'll, you'll share somebody's learning. And you'll be mastered a hundred different ways. She decided she didn't want to. She could have, but she didn't. That reluctance, that hesitation, the fact that she held herself back, that small story, that small Misa, was something that earned her the bracha to be able to have children. You know, there's another story that's told about this chus that she had to have her Yashiv. It's brought in the biography, but I must say that the biography also does say that it's not clear whether or not the story is true. They asked, Rabbi Yashiv wasn't the type of person that himself spoke about himself. He was learning day and night. He didn't have a chance, a minute, to talk about himself. And a lot of things we know about him are from other things or from documents because he did not talk to me. He was just learning. That's all he did all day. 
But the story goes, and I heard this story already when I was a bacher years ago, that Rebel Yashiv's mother, this same woman, she could not have children for many years. In the olden days, before washing machines, they had people used to do their wash by hand, and they would take, you know, and today it's so easy, you just throw everything into a washing machine, it does the spin cycle, and it does the, the, you know, the detergent, everything happens on itself. You just come back an hour later, and the laundry's done. In the old days, they had to mamish scrub. They took out like these brushes and they did it on like these, you know, like, like curvy type of metal sheet, you know, just to mamish, be able to scrub and get all the dirt out and all. And you have to bring water and soap and this and that. It's a whole kashef. And then after it was all scrubbed and cleaned and, and wrung out, then you have to leave it on a clothesline for it to dry. So it's like hours and hours of work. This is what women were busy with in those days. And so they would have a clothesline. And Rebel Yashiv's mother, after working so hard, she put on a clothesline. The clothesline sort of like went into her neighbor's yard a little bit. Her neighbor was in a bad mood that day. And she didn't appreciate having in her backyard, you know, the, you know, the Yashiv's clothing hanging in her face. So basically she took the whole clothesline and she ripped it down and all these, these you know, freshly laundered garments and sheets and whatever were all now lying on the dirt and it had to be done all over again. And needless to say, Yashiv's mother was quite upset and she was going to make a big machan, a big tumult. She decided she was going to not say a word. Not say a word. And she just washed everything all over again and then she found a different clothesline and she hung out the clothes to dry. She didn't say anything to her husband, to nobody. When her husband came home, after he was eating supper, there was a, a knock on the door, a desperate knock. It's the neighbor from downstairs who was the perpetrator of that crime. And she says, I got what was coming to me. My son... I was the one that ripped down your, your, your clothesline, all your clothes because of me. And I'm terribly sorry. My son is deathly ill all of a sudden. His fever starts rising. And I know it's because of what I did to you. Please be mindful of me. That's the only reason why we know the whole story to begin with. And the mother, and, and Rabbi Yashin was fine. I'm mindful of you. It's not a problem. She gave her a bracha. And then shortly thereafter, she became pregnant. And they say the whole, the whole schus to have a, naturally she wasn't able to have a baby. But in the schus of this act of vitor that she didn't say anything, she wanted to make makhleke, she just was quiet, that was her schus. That was her klomaisa We're able to see so much about ourselves. If we don't have a chance, if we don't have the appetite to really do soul searching and do a real act of lechlecha, but if you want to know, are you really who you think you are and who you claim you are, see the small things that you do. When no one is around in the room, when no one is going to find out whether it was you that did it or not, that's when the real you shines without any covet. You know, when the pushka's going around and every, there's 500 people looking at you in a room and you pull out a dollar bill and you put in a pushka, that's a mitzvah. But do you 
If you do that when no one is looking, when the face manager is empty and you go out and pull out, a, that's much more chashu because it shows this is really who I am. If you're able to do matin de seser, if you're able to do chesed de seser, or if things happen that's not in your daily schedule and it's something that throws you off balance and catches you off guard and you say, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, I do it. It wasn't expected. It was a small act. It was not expected, but I did it anyway. That shows, that shows who we really are. It's when people are not looking, when the, when the spotlight is off of us, and we don't think anybody is looking, and no one's going to find out. That is what the gauge is. That's an easy gauge to be able to see whether really B'nai Elam Haba or not. That's not to say that all that we do throughout our lives, the Taira and the mitzvahs that feel that we do Barabim, is not important. Of course it's important. It's vitally important. These are things that we have to do regardless. And we do it and we do it well. But the real way of understanding me, who I am, the Lech Lecha, is to try to see who we are by the small things that we do. A mashkiach that I had when I was in Masifta, when I was in high school, used to say on Parshas Vayera about the last of the Asar Nisan. If we spoke about the first one, Lech Lecha the last one was Lech Lecha El Eretz to go bring Yitzchak on the Akedah. And he says, if you look in the, in the Parshas Akedah, there's a strange phenomenon Avram Avinu passes the test with flying colors. And he's willing to bring Yitzchak on the Akedah, and a Malach stops him and says, Al Tishach Yad Kalanar, fine. That is where, if I was a Hollywood producer, the movie would be over. Over, drop the curtain, it's done, beautiful, climax, great. That's not where the Torah ends, the parasha of the Akedah. The parasha of the Akedah ends after that Misa, Avraham Avinu starts looking frantically for something to bring instead of Yitzchak. And he finds an aisle, and this aisle is caught in the thorns and the thicket, and you know, he brings it on in his back. And now Amal comes, Shainis Menashamayim, and gives like a real bracha. The first one was nice, it was a little compliment. The next one was like, you know... Unbelievable, Avraham Avinu, you're unbelievable. Ekev Asher Shamas, Kaili, you know, you didn't, you brought your son and you did that, and now I'm going to give you whatever you want, the Yeratacha, whatever. The brachas are like spilling over after the second part of the Maisa. Even though that that wasn't even the Nisayan, the Nisayan was, was the Akedah. He brought, he was willing to shaft his son, and he got a bracha, but then he brought this ayo. It was a free aisle, he found it, he brought it, he shafted it, and now here comes the shower of brachas on him. What's going on? And so, my mashkiach said that the pshat is that sometimes in life the, the big things are easier than the small things. To bring, I'm not saying it's easy to bring your son on the Akedah, don't get me wrong, but God came to Avram Avinu directly, the Chvayi Devat, and said, this is what I want, so what, what am I going to do? I'm going to say no to Hashem? He wasn't giving me a choice. So you have to do it. I do it. That's not the Iker Nisayan, the Iker Mitchan, the Iker task. The main task of knowing who Avraham Avinu is not necessarily that he was willing to sacrifice son on the Akedah, as great as that was. 
It was the aftermath, the small maisa that he did after. I wasn't satisfied. I thought I was doing it uh, now, Baruch Hashem, I'm going to make a Kiddush. I, I could bench Shema. I didn't have to bring Yitzchak. I want to do something for the Rabbi Nishayim. So I brought a little aisle, shaft it on his back. I brought a talk to the sparkle. That is Abraham Avinu. The, we, the test of Abraham Avinu's metal, who he really is, is shown so much clearer by the second part of the Maisa. Because he didn't do it after, he didn't do it because the lights were on and this was the mo- his moment to shine. It was after the, the camera crews had gone home, the Akeda was already, you know, attempted to be done. He brought an aisle, little rim, that's like anticlimactic, but that's what tests the real, that's the real Nisayan of Avraham Avinu, of the Akeda. That's how we're able to figure out who we really are. So sometimes in life, we always have these. Now maybe we'll be able to detect them better. But always, like, things come and we weren't expecting. We didn't, you know... And it's like a, one of those, like, little, you know, moral uh, question marks that we have. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? There used to be a board game, I remember when I was a kid, called Scruples. I'm sure they still make it. I'm sure you could find it. Not that you should, but there is... You know, there were, like, you know you're, you're pulling out of your, in a, in, a, in a shopping mall, you're backing your car out, and you, know, and you, you bump slightly the fender of, of the guy next to you, do you leave a note on the car or not? You know? So most people wouldn't, you know, whatever, it's a little fender bender, it's nothing, I just scraped it a little bit, not such a big deal. You know, hundreds of these types of scruples questions. Do you have scruples or not? Those scruples... Those questions of, you know, what would you do in such a situation? It's not a situation that you plan. It's not, okay, I, I plan on giving this money to tzedakah. I plan on learning this amount of time. I plan on doing this mitzvah. What happens when, you know, you bump a guy's car, you know, and, and no one's looking? That's, like, that defines who you really are more than anything else because that was something that, I'm caught off guard. What do I do now? Do I, you know, is my Yiddishkeit real or is it not? It's easy to be a from a Yid and Yom Kippur with a talus, with a kittel, and everything as well. What happens, you know, when things happen that are not on the Seder Ayyem? They weren't on the menu for today, and now I, I have to do something. And do I do it right, or do I not do it right? Those mices, that is what defines us. And that's at least a way of beginning to see the real us. And that's the main Nisayan that we have. This is Lachlacha. Lachlacha is the commandment that we're all given... I think the Sassemah says this command of Lechelcha is to all of us. And that means that we have to go and look inside of us. Walk, not just to Eretz Yisrael, but walk inside, see inside, see what we're made of, and improve ourselves. And once we do that, then we're going to be ready to go on our mission and change the world. But before we can change the world, first we have to change ourselves. Have a good Shabbat.